Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and today we're going to talk to uh, David Lepofsky, who's chair of the Accessibility for Ontario with Disability Act Alliance. So welcome, David. Nice to talk to you. Okay, so let's start with your academic background. Where did you go to school, David? Uh, Well, I went to school in Toronto for uh, my high school and elementary school. I did two years of undergrad at York University. I then got right into Osgoode Hall Law School. Uh, Did my law degree there. I did my uh, admission to the bar and the bar exams here. And I did a master's of law at the Harvard Law School, graduating in 1982. Okay, so what about work? Did you do any work while you were going to school? I did not do work when I went to school. After I graduated, after I came back from Harvard, I uh, worked as counsel for the Ontario government, uh, Crown Council, doing civil and then uh, constitutional and then criminal cases, and I did that for 33 years. Okay, you have worked. Okay, so let's talk about the organization. When did that start? Well, let me break it into two phases. The, um, in 1994, a small group of us formed a coalition in Ontario to fight for the passage of a province-wide disability accessibility law. And we became known as the Ontarians with Disabilities Act Committee, or ODA Committee. I became its co-chair early on and later its chair. And we campaigned for a decade to win the enactment of that law. And in 2005, it was passed. So our coalition had done its job. We existed to get that law passed. It was passed. So we wound up, but seeded the creation of a successor coalition uh, one that would work not on getting it passed, but got it, getting it effectively implemented. Now, the law that we originally sought, we called the Ontarians with Disabilities Act, but the law that was, <coughs> pardon me, passed in 2005 was called the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, or AODA. And so our new coalition became known as the AODA Alliance. I initially planned on taking no leadership role in it. Um, But after about four years, I was asked to come back and to take on the role of its chair, which I did in 2009, and I I hold to this day. Okay, so having said that, in our research under our disability uh, initiative, what we have found is that government and corporations may or may not have a a policy. In many cases, it's out of date. And then you try to drill down to find out who's accountable. And in many cases, there's nobody accountable. What is your experience? Uh, Basically the same. Uh, let Let me be clear. Since 2005, there's no question that we've made some progress on accessibility. And had we not fought the campaign to win this law, 
and fought the ongoing campaign to get effectively implemented, I think people with disabilities would be worse off than they are now. However, we are nowhere near where we could be or should be. Indeed, when this law was passed in 2005, it says right at the top that its purpose is to is for Ontario to become accessible to people with disabilities with a deadline by 2025. Now that 2025 is just a little over two years away from now. And by all accounts, we are nowhere near achieving that. Uh, and that's because, frankly, of a failure of provincial government leadership on this legislation. Um, it has the right bones. It has the right provisions. But you need a government that's going to do their job. And unfortunately, successive governments have done some things, but not enough. And the current government, the Ford government, um, has managed to take a slow process and grind it to a virtual halt. But isn't the legislation out of date? Shouldn't it be uh, redone? Well, uh, there are two things I'm going to tell you. The first is, uh, I wouldn't say it's out of date. I would say that we've learned a number of lessons. <laughs> and if I was designing a law from scratch, I would take several key parts of this, but I would do several things to do it better. And in fact, when the federal government uh, under Justin Trudeau promised during the 2015 election that they would pass a national uh, disability law. Um, we proposed what it should include, building on what Ontario has done well, but learning from what they've done poorly. So yes, uh, a law could be better designed. And I don't mean a perfect law, I mean a better law. However, we have made it clear to all the political parties that we don't want any of them opening up the AODA to amend it. Um, and that's because we are very worried that if they open this law up, it could end up getting weakened. Now, you might say, how can you make it weaker? Well, it's got a number of very helpful provisions. But um, we know that against people with dis up against the, the claims of people with disabilities, the Ontario Public Service, for example, has been the most resistant to change uh, and the biggest problem. And I say that with a lot of regret. I used to work in the public service. They're not bad people. And I suspect individually they would say, hey, accessibility is a good thing and we should be doing more. But when they get together in an organization, a groupthink or a hive mentality takes over, which is all about slowing it down. So, and, and I got to tell you, knowing what I know about government having worked there, if a bill got opened up, if legislation got opened up, we'd have public servants scrambling to come up with ways to water it down. Uh, and we don't want to run that risk. So could the law be stronger? Yes. Uh, do we want it strengthened? No. Okay. So the bigger issue then is implementation. Yep. So where are the weaknesses for, in terms of implementation? Well, there's really two. The design of the act is a good one. It not only says that Ontario is to become accessible by 2025, but it puts someone in charge, and that's the Ontario government. Not that the government is supposed to go out and uh, fix every uh, barrier in society and private organizations, but rather it gives the government two mandates. First, they have to pass a series of regulations 
that are going to spell out in detail to, for obligated organizations what they need to do. And that's a really helpful thing because obligated organizations who want to do the right thing don't know what to do. And organizations that you want to enforce against, you want to be able to point to a law and say, here's what you got to do. And people with disabilities want to know what they're entitled to. Um, so these regulations are called accessibility standards. The second obligation of the provincial government, once those standards are enacted, is to effectively enforce them. Well, the government's dropped the ball on both. Yes, it's passed some accessibility standards, but not enough. There's a number that we need, we know we need, that the government has proposals on their desks uh, of what they should include, and the government is just asleep at the switch. And of the standards they passed, all of them are too weak and need to be strengthened. That's not, not to say they're useless. They have a number of helpful provisions, but overall, they miss the mark. That is to say, if, if every organization obeyed every word of all the accessibility standards passed to date, Ontario would not become accessible by 2025. In fact, it would never become accessible. So the government dropped the ball on the first part. And we have been trying, continue to try, to advocate to get the government uh, to pass or strengthen the accessibility standards uh, that are on the books and, and pass some new ones. Like, we, we don't just criticize. We, we offer constructive proposals, and we're nonpartisan. We'll work with any government, with any opposition party. Now, the second thing the government's obliged to do, once those standards are enacted, is to effectively enforce them. Well, uh, enforcement of the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, since it first became enforceable around a decade ago, has been a joke. Um, there is very little enforcement. There are very few people doing the enforcement. The, the, there are substantial penalties available, but the actual penalties that have ever been disclosed to us are extremely few and far between and are tiny in amount. Now, that's not to say all enforcement has to be, uh, <clears throat> you know, that kind of stuff. There's a lot of steps along the way, but they've been weak at all stages. Okay, David, besides government, what about corporations? Well, I've been talking about the role of government as the regulator, and it should be regulating. Its mandate is to regulate both the public sector and the private sector. Now, again, there are a number of corporations that are, are uh, you know, want to do the right thing and are taking steps forward, but the way the AODA is being implemented doesn't give them the guidance, the direction, or the compulsion uh, that's needed. Um, let me just give you one example. Uh, if, if you wanted to build a new building or to renovate an existing building, and building barriers like accessibility barriers in the built environment are just one of the issues people with disabilities face. It's not just about buildings. But the problem is Ontario's laws are building code our standards under the AODA do not require that new buildings or renovated buildings be built to be barrier-free. Yeah, they got some accessibility provisions, but they're woefully out of date. They're woefully inadequate. And we've been pressing this issue for, oh, about a dozen years or so, uh, because every time the government takes your tax dollars or mine, 
and builds a new building or a college or a university or a hospital is built uh, or a public transit system or private buildings with barriers. It's creating new barriers. It's actually spending money to make things worse. And we think that's like a really stupid way to use money, whether it's public money or private money. It's unlawful, but it's also unwise. So having said that, are there any positive success stories, whether it's corporate or government? Yeah, let me be clear. We're not, as a nonprofit voluntary coalition, you know, we have an audit at the entire province of Ontario and all 14 plus million, uh, the businesses where 14 million people work and all that. But we know, here's what the positive is. Number one, we know what the goal is of barrier-free accessible society. We know that there has been substantial buy-in. It's not like anybody's campaign, there's no one against it. Moreover, the Disabilities Act passed in 2005 unanimously, and no party has campaigned to weaken or gut it. Um, we also know that uh, everybody either has a disability now or gets one later. So what we're talking about is something that everyone needs. Uh, and if they don't need it now, they're going to need it later in life, but everyone needs. These barriers hurt everyone and don't help anyone. What we also know is that according to three successive government-appointed independent reviews, there has been a real gap between public attitudes, which is supporting uh, accessibility, and government action, which has been too weak on accessibility. Okay. So we have a, we have a basis, a consensus basis for doing it. What we're missing is government leadership. And this is a nonpartisan thing. We were, we commended Dalton McGinty when he was premier for passing the Disabilities Act in 2005. He gets real credit for that. But within a couple of years of passing it, implementation was slowing down. When Kathleen Wynne took over, we congratulated her on um, making a number of important commitments over what she would do to advance this agenda. Unfortunately, she broke a number of those commitments. And by the time she was, her term in office was finished in 2018, progress was slowing and slowing and slowing. When Doug Ford took office, we said, look, you're in a new position. You're in an excellent position to pick this up, say, look, I'm going to bring a fresh approach. The last government uh, dropped the ball on this. We're going to do better. Unfortunately, they've done worse, way worse. And the premier is the premier Ford is the first premier uh, since the AODA was passed, who's refused to even meet with us, doesn't even answer our letters now. It used to be he gave us a pro forma answer. Now he won't even answer our letters. Um, the accessibility minister who's been in office since uh, he, uh, since the Ford government took office, the same minister doesn't uh, refuse us now to meet. I've met him uh, previously, but in the past year, year and a half and so on, again, uh, it's radio silence. Well, David, here's the, here's the amazing thing to me. Our research has shown that 22% of Canadians have a disability, and 54%, uh, if you include family and friends, and if you could somehow advocate that power 
you could really make a difference. But the, well, question, the say, challenge but, but, is how do you do that? But here's the thing. Uh, we, I'm going to talk to you about how you do that in a sec, but let me just tell you, we've been saying that, but we say more because uh, upwards of 2.6 million Ontarians now have a disability, over 6 million Canadians. But around the world, we're talking about a billion people. And that's a billion potential customers for our products. We are talking about a billion potential tourists to come here. But Ontario is not a good tourist destination for people with disabilities compared to some other societies like the U.S. U.S. is way ahead of us. They've got their problems, but on accessibility, they have made and disability, they made a lot of progress way ahead of us. When I go from the States to Canada, I feel like I'm going in a time machine the wrong way. Um, and I'm a proud Canadian, so I'm embarrassed to say that um, uh, and saddened to say that. But what do you do about it? Well, people listening to this podcast, uh, let me turn, uh, if you hear this and you think we deserve better, let me tell you what you can do, whether you're in Ontario or across Canada or, frankly, anywhere in the world. Number one, we provide very concrete proposals for what needs to be done and give people the tools to advocate for these things. If you want to learn about them, you can sign up to get our email updates because we regularly email email news, uh, strategy tips, practical suggestions. Uh, and so how do you get those? You go to our website. I'm going to give you the link in a minute. And you go to our sign-up link on the homepage. You click on that. You put in your email address, and bang, you're going to get our updates. Our email address, we're the AODA Alliance. And so it's www.aodaalliance.org. AODAalliance.org. And if you're interested in any of these subjects I'm talking about, we have an education page. Learn about our fight to get our school, make our school system accessible. Public transit, we have a transportation page. Our society has got a blight in a number of communities, electric scooters, which endanger people with disabilities, seniors and kids. Go to our e-scooters page, see how we've been trying to fight against that. With action tips on how you can get involved. If you're on Twitter, follow us on Twitter at AODA Alliance. We tweet a lot of news. We retweet what others are doing. We'd like to be kind of a news source on accessibility advocacy around the world. Uh, but between those uh, sources, you can learn more about what we're doing. You can add your voice to ours, uh, and you can make a huge difference. So, for example, we're about to start tweeting candidates uh, a number of candidates in the uh, city elections, the municipal elections in Ontario, uh, leading up to the uh, municipal elections on October 24th. If you want to have your voice added, all you got to do is follow us and click retweet. Because if we tweet a politician, a candidate, and say, will you commit to oppose allowing electric scooters in our community because they endanger us, if you if they get a tweet from me, that's one thing. But if you click retweet, they're getting it from you too. You're adding your voice to ours. You're adding your power to ours. So we provide you lots of ways like that without spending a lot of time to jump on board and help have your say. Okay. Are any provinces uh, much more positive about changes? 
Uh, I, I'm not sure I can answer it that way. I can tell you that several provinces have passed accessibility laws. Ontario is the first, and from a brief comparison, it looks like ours is the strongest, though it's, it's got problems. That's uh, Ontario, then uh, Nova Scotia, Manitoba, BC, and Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, some of the other provinces are thinking about it. We'd like to see action everywhere. Uh, but we'd like to see the accessibility laws in all of these provinces strengthened. The federal government passed the Accessible Canada Act in 2019. It's got some, it's, it's strong on good intentions, but weak on implementation. We're trying to see, you know, folks with disabilities are trying to get whatever they can out of it to make the much pro- as much progress as possible. But we're also vigilant to point out where it needs to be strengthened. Okay, let's take a look to the south then. Are there any states or the federal government much well, stronger than Canada? I will tell you this. The U.S. in some ways, is, as I said before, is way ahead of us. They passed the Americans with Disabilities Act in, 2000, pardon me, in 1990, which is 15 years before the first of any Canadian accessibility laws. And it's uh, um, uh, it in some ways uh, is more limited but its implementation has been far more effective. So we've seen changes uh, in places there that are far more noticeable. Now, again, there are limitations to what they're doing. There are things they should and could be doing that they're not, but they're way ahead of us. The legal rights of students with disabilities in the U.S. education system are governed by federal legislation that was passed in memory serves 1974, we haven't played anywhere near catch up to that. Moreover, their federal government enforces, uh, has the power to enforce inclusion accessibility for students with disabilities. What do we have in Ontario? We got a provincial government that openly says their Ministry of Education does not have an enforcement role when it comes to inclusion and equality and accessibility for students with disabilities. Very different world. So we have 72 school boards who are largely free to do as much or as little as they want. That's not to say we have nothing, but we are way, way behind. And everybody in Ontario is the loser as a result, not just kids with disabilities, even though obviously they are uh, losers. But let me give you another comparison. I just came back from Israel a couple of weeks ago, and I have some connections with folks advocating on disability uh, issues there. Now, Israel has got a whole lot of issues uh, and challenges that Canada's not. They've got a huge security issue with threats from abroad. They have an internal conflict uh, that uh, is as yet uh, unresolved. Uh, They have a political system. They're going into their, I don't know, fifth election in four years or something like that. It's just deep problems there. But even with that, they passed accessibility legislation in 2005 that in some ways is more effectively enforced in Ontario and in some ways is making more progress. For example, in Ontario, we have not required hotels uh, or other existing public buildings to put braille in their elevators or a voice on the elevator to tell blind people like me what floor we're on. Like what a basic thing. And in Israel, not only do they require it, but they required it as a retrofit, not just new hotels. I was staying at a hotel 
uh, that's uh, probably 40 years old, and they ret retrofitted it. They could do it. <coughs> we could do it. Uh, tactile cane detectable warnings at the top of public's sets of stairs. I saw them all over the place there, especially including in places where they had to retrofit, not just new buildings. With us, even when we require it, and we don't require enough of it, it's only in new builds or major renovations. We treat existing buildings like they're somehow sacred soil uh, and can't be touched. So if Israel could do it with all their uh, issues, uh, Ontario uh, could do it and should be able to do it way better. Okay, last topic. Uh, the, in Canada, there are 14 universities who have disability programs. In San Jose, California, there's the College of Adaptive Arts that runs 11 programs for people with special needs, post-secondary. And I'm trying to get uh, Ryerson to adapt that program in Canada. What do you see being done in the academic world? Well, let me tell you a couple of things. This is an area I can really talk to. For one thing, we advocated, <laughs> we've been advocating since 2009 to get the Ontario government to pass an education accessibility standard to tear down the barriers in our kindergarten and grade 12 schools and our post-secondary system. Now, finally, in 2016, the previous premier agreed uh, we should do this, but six years later, we still don't have the regulation passed. The government, to its credit, appointed advisory committees to make recommendations on what should be done for K-12 education. I was on that committee. And post-secondary education. Both of those committees have handed the government detailed recommendations and good recommendations. What's the government of Ontario done about it? Nothing that we've seen. And uh, have they announced a timeline for action? Absolutely not. They're dragging their feet. So there's a lot. And... The post-secondary realm is a realm where you could make a huge difference because they are centers of innovation. They are, by definition, about thinking forward, thinking creative. I'm going to give you just one example. As we record this, uh, I'm a visiting professor at the Osgoode Hall Law School. I'm the visiting professor of disability rights and legal education. I rendered a report to Osgoode and now it's coming out as a law journal article, slightly modified, where I talk about our law school curriculum. Are we training lawyers to serve clients with disabilities? And what I've concluded in my article is not really. We do a really good job of training lawyers to serve clients without disabilities, but people with disabilities need lawyers too. So I don't just say, I don't just complain about it. I offer detailed recommendations on how law school curriculums can be readily adapted so that they train lawyers to serve both people without disabilities and people with disabilities and to know about their legal issues. Now, here's the thing about our legal education system. Our legal education system has shown that it's capable of being very spry, adaptive, and creative. Uh, a few years ago, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission identified a need for law schools to include effective training for lawyers, uh, law students, on Indigenous uh, issues. Uh, an important and good recommendation, well, law schools have started 
a number of steps, hiring full-time faculty specializing in this. Osgood requires all students to take a course in it. Uh, a number of efforts in, in different law schools. I've seen nothing comparable across the board to address the legal needs of uh, people with disabilities and making sure lawyers are trained to meet them. These are things that can be done readily, um, but it, it takes some effective leadership. And we've been asking the government of Ontario since uh, 2007 to intervene to ensure that lawyers, architects, social workers, doctors, and other key professionals are trained to serve uh, people of all abilities, not just meet the needs of people with dis without disabilities. Sadly, so far, uh, we're still waiting. David, you have a great story to tell. You uh, are uh, a social innovator as well, and you're a strong advocate for what you do. So thank you for your time this afternoon. Listen, it's an honor to speak to you. I want to let you know that even though I'm telling what seems like a troubling message, I'm an eternal optimist. All the fights that we've battled, the ODA committee before us, the AODA Alliance, we're all volunteers. We have a budget of zero. We have no money. We don't accept money. We don't raise money. I'm amazed at how much we can do just with volunteer efforts. And I encourage your listeners to go to aodaalliance.org, sign up to get our emails, learn what we're about, follow AOD at AODA Alliance on Twitter, and add your voice to ours. We need you.